The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your host, me, Patrick Lunn, and... Me, Rob Davis. Uh, we have a fabulous, fantabulous, incredible show for you guys today. Um, we're going to be finishing Death Mass. Uh, the, I mean, holy shit, we are, we're, we're in it now. We are, that's the fifth book behind us, or it will be the fifth book behind us. Um, that's a, that's a, more than a quarter of what's currently out there. Getting up to about a third of what's currently out there, uh, from Jim. Um, well, we're going to have to slow down. <laughs> we're, we're running out. <laughs> It, it there is a funny kind of like weird situation. I mean, no, I don't think either of us thought we'd ever get this far with with it, um, with with like Paranet. And there's a there's a sudden like shit. We might actually catch Jim up. I mean, b- based on the fact it's taken us a year to get this far, I can't even remember how many books there are. Sixteen, not including yep. short stories. I mean, by that count, surely in two years' time, there's bound to be another book. But I mean, we would have caught up by then. (laughs) I mean, there's that, and there's also... There's a lot more short stories. The books get longer. Um, There's going to be a lot more to dig into and unpack. That's true. But there's also... There's Codex Alera. There's um, the Cinder Spire stuff. Um, there's also lots of books and authors that are Dresden adjacent and that kind of informed and inspired Jim. Um, so I'm sure that there's, there's plenty for us to dig into. Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We, we have, we have death masks to finish. Um, we also have uh, a short story uh, next week. Um, I think it's it's quite a micro one, if I remember yeah, rightly. I think I have yet to actually check, but I'm sure it's one of the ones that's like a page and a half to two pages long. Cool. Um, so we're going to be talking about that and maybe, well, we'll be touching upon how Death Masks appears in um, other media. Um, it shows up in the Dresden Files uh board game like cooperative board card game um so i'm going to be playing that this week and and talking about uh how that is um uh it doesn't really show up in the tv series um to date uh unfortunately um and there isn't a comic book adaptation but we do also have a comic book to go back to uh one that we actually missed um a little earlier um, I think it's um, I'm trying to remember now. Is it? Just, yeah. Was it just before this one, or was it? I think. Back? I want to say it was set in between book two and three, but I can't. I can't remember to be honest. It cause, partly because it came up in like passing conversation the other day. You're right. It it was between book two and three. It is Ghoul Goblin. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so. Maybe we'll throw that into the next episode. Maybe we'll give it its own episode 
depends how much there is to it. Um, but uh, so that's another little uh, thing that we're going to be picking out to make sure that we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, and then, yeah, we'll just we'll keep on cracking on. Um, with all that in mind, let's head over to para networking. Um, so para networking is where we talk about uh, stuff going on in the world of Dresden Files. Uh, <clears throat> if Jim Butcher has been up to anything, we talk about that. Uh, Jim is still keeping pretty quiet. Um, he hasn't put anything else out on his website. He hasn't put anything else out on his socials. Uh, the only thing that I've seen going around a bit recently is the witch doctor story, which I don't know what that is, uh, but I believe it's a story about when Jim actually met a witch doctor. Um, that sounds quite interesting in a weird way. Yeah, it's a, it's like a, not a talk, I guess, but like an anecdote that he gave it um, a con a couple of years back, but it started making the rounds again. Um, so that's probably worth checking out. I'll uh, I'll put a link to it in the description. And probably give it a watch while I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, today's para networking, though, uh, as we're in a, a bit of an off-season between gym books, um, we are picking up some of the big questions of the Dresden Files. We've done shipping. Uh, we've done scenes we'd like to see. Um, and today we are doing which vampire court would you join in the Dresden Files? So this is uh, which vampire court out of the four? So we've got uh, the one that we know the least about, the Jade Court, which are vampires that are able to steal breath. Uh, we have um, the least, uh, supposedly the least influential now, the Black Court, uh, which is uh, your classic Bram Stoker blood vampires um, that... Uh, essentially are ma like magic based um, and have all the weaknesses that vampires have and have all the, the abilities that vampires have uh, in kind of classic mythology. Then you've got the, the more modern Red Court, which is um, a kind of Latina based uh, uh, court uh, down in South America, but then they have agents up in North America and um, they are. Uh, they seem to get something from kind of worship uh, of others, but their big thing is again kind of blood drinking, um, uh, an exsanguination as it's known. Um, and then you've got uh, the super sexy white court uh, who get off on high emotions, particularly adoration. Uh, and sexually charged lust, and they're mostly based in North America. Uh, Black Court as well um, are traditionally based in Europe, but um, have made the rounds in North America as well. Uh, I think that covers all of them. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so Rob, it's, uh, it's Vampire Court joining day. Which one are you siding with? I mean, I imagine it's like a careers day thing where they've all got their own little booths and like pamphlets and stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, before I go into that, I'll, I posted this out on the socials as well. And we had a couple of responses. Um, 
And I, I don't think any of the responses really surprised me that much. Which is, um, <laughs> I mean, one of them's a uh, white court house right house uh, house wraith. Uh, yeah. The reason that goes without saying. Um, and the other reply was fairly similar with red court yuck, black court double yuck, jade court dunno. So I guess white court house wraith by sort of default. Um, so I mean, I I feel. I don't know if I'm attractive enough to be a, like a white court vampire, but I'd I'd <laughs> like to fill in an application maybe for them, just because of the poon. Um, <laughs> because um, I'm not sure if that that will translate very well to uh, our American audience, but oh uh, no, I yeah. mean, uh, uh, in the words of Fred Durst, I, I did it all for the nookie. There we go. Is that an improvement? Um, yeah, I guess like what uh, English poon is American nookie. Yeah, but I mean, but based on what we've seen as well within the novels and stuff, it definitely feels like the least. Oh God, I say the least evil, but that's probably not really the case. Um, hmm. Well, that's but, that's Ebenezer's big thing, isn't it? Like. They seem less evil. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think in all seriousness, if I if I handed in an application for each one, I feel like the only one that would uh, accept me is the Black Court, and I I feel that's partially because they don't really have any standards. <laughs> well, I mean, just on the description of the ones that we see, they're all like kind of corpse-like, aren't they? So I feel and being on the brink of um, extinction, I feel like they'll just take what they can get. So, Okay, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I so... feel like they'd be more valued. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, would you go full vampire or would you go for like a Renfield? Oh man. I mean, it, it, de- it depends like I'd probably go for full vampire because I don't think I could. I don't think my conscience could take being a Renfield. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. I, I think There's I'd rather killing just... being a Renfield. Yeah, I, I feel. I don't think it's a great time. No, I feel there's less benefits as well. Whereas <laughs> being an actual Black Court vampire, I mean, <laughs> arguably they're not really benefits, I guess, but. It's got to be better than being, you know, bitch boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want to. You don't want to be the rent boy. No. <laughs> um, fair enough. Okay. Um, who who, who do you any... choose? Uh, yeah. So for me, um, I I actually find the white court. Um, I don't know, just a bit like dishonorable almost. Hmm. Um, like they don't fight fair at all. Uh, their whole thing is like, I don't know, it's just like like Littlefinger, but it's like a a, a whole organization made of little fingers. Yeah, I can um, see that. I guess. <laughs> um, so I'd rather be something more like overt. Um. I don't know what the J Court's deal is, apart from that they are really like um, 
they follow the like the, the, they're very honor based. So mm. maybe I'd enjoy being part of the J Corps because I like that honor aspect. I was gonna say um, being part of a vampire organization that is a lot more secret than the other ones is probably a good thing as well, in terms of uh, yeah, you know, a long term career, I suppose. Um, but that being said, I I mean, man, I love fucking uh, Ortega's style in the Red Court. Um, and I kind of like the idea of being able to turn into a big bat rage monster. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, when when I want to. <laughs> um, that'd be kind of, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, Black Court doesn't really appeal to me. I just don't want bits of me dropping off. Um, and it seems like that, that is like part and parcel. Yeah. Uh, um, but the magic knowledge is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think, so I think my application sheet, uh, first choice would be Jade Court, second choice Red Court, third choice Black Court, last choice White Court. Fair play. I can get behind uh, that. Which is the one that you'd kind of least want to be part of then? I mean, that's probably a better question, seeing as I settled on the least appealing one. <laughs> um, I don't know I probably would have gone with Red Court just because I know the amount like they're like the main focal point of this whole vampire wizard war, and I I feel as a re- if I was a Red Court member, I'd work much better as an independent kind of party because I don't want to die. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, when I'm thinking about being part of the Red Court, I'm thinking about being like my own person like like more like bianca i guess but even yeah. she gets drawn into it all yeah it's oh, it's a tough one and i also feel i don't fit the uh demographic we see for the red court vamps they're all a bit i don't know preppy i guess yeah that's true but then they're all kind of preppy to be honest i mean the white court can be very preppy very good point um no that's cool um i uh yeah they they all i mean that's that's the thing isn't it like they all obviously offer a there is something that each of them offer to to draw you in like the black court has the magic the red court has like the power um the white court obviously has like the sex uh, and um, the Jade Court obviously has like the mystery side to it. Um, so there is something for something for everyone. Um, it's but it's an interesting little thought experiment. I'd really be interested in what like more of our fans had to say about it. Um, we'll have to get talking about it on the Discord definitely. Agreed. Um, cool. Okay, so um. I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else you wanted to say on the Vampire Court. Uh, not particularly. Would you rather be a vampire or a fairy? By which I mean fae. I mean, I'd probably go with the fairy thing, just because, I mean, yeah, probably go with fae. Yeah, I think I'd probably go with the Fae as well. It's just more... Um, <laughs> it, se- 
seems that you can get away with still being an alright person. Yeah, I mean, my perspective is quite similar in that it feels like if you're Faye, you're, you're just generally having a bit of a better time. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still some horrifying parts to it, but <laughs> it is better. Yeah. Um, I can see you being like um, the red cap. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. Um... <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, like a bit curmudgeonly and um, <laughs> murderous, but generally nice. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um yeah. Uh I'll be I'll be a centaur or something. I don't know. Um Okay. So um that then takes us to to the meat and potatoes of our episode. Um the real Sunday lunch, the proper jam trifle. Um <laughs> uh um, our finale of Death Mass. So this is uh, Paranet Book Club. Uh, every week, me and Rob are clambering, sometimes crawling through the desert of Jim Butcher's uh, content. Uh, every grain of sand formed from comic books, video games, uh, normal games, uh, TV shows, novels, short stories, novellas, uh, microfictions, metafictions, uh, micro comic books, and everything in between. Um, we are uh, currently, well, we are about to finish the fifth book in the series, Death Mass. Um, and we will very soon be journeying into the depths of book number six, Blood Rites, which that's not how I'm going to say it. I'm not sure how I'm going to say it. I think it's it's going to be, it's got to be heavy on the blood, like Blood Rites. I mean, we'll we've, we've got a few days to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that one <laughs> felt still a bit like Death Mass. Yeah. Um, I'm not there yet. We'll see. I'll, I'll I'll get there, um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so uh, we're currently on uh, the finale of Death Masks, uh, and uh, we will start with, uh, as always, I will go through the previous chapters. Uh, this time we've only got three chapters to cover in the previous chapters, and then we'll go for this week's chapters where we only have two chapters to cover. Uh, but then we will do a little bit of breaking down. We kind of do some lit crit. We do some talking about stuff to watch out for, things that will be important in the future. Um, and then in this case, we will also do a little summary of uh, how we found Death Masks and what we're looking forward to in the future. Uh, so, last time on The Dresden Files, uh, we had Chapter 29, which... Um, it's essentially Dresden and Murphy catching up. Uh, Murphy helps pull some strings um, to help Dresden, uh, who has the police investigating him. Uh, Susan arrives, uh, and the two uh, head to the duel against Ortega. Susan takes Shira's place, and uh, there is a battle of wills between Dresden and Ortega. Ortega admits that his only goal is to kill Harry. 
whose promises of peace were lies, showing fear as Harry has the upper hand, Ortega pulls a gun on Harry. That takes us to chapter 30. A laser sight appears on Ortega as he's shot multiple times, revealing the gun he had on Harry. Wounded, Ortega still manages to avoid the Mordite. This is what the Battle of Wills was around, this kind of uh, uh, otherworldly substance that as soon as it touches anyone, it dissolves them uh, in place. Uh, Ortega uh, tries to attack Harry, uh, with Susan joining in as more vampires join the attack. Uh, Kincaid takes out a number of vampires while protecting Ivy, using these kind of uh, th- these explosive uh, rounds of uh, of shotgun shot uh, that completely destroy the shotgun as he uses them. So he has to keep taking new shotguns out of a golf caddy that he he has with him. Um, a vampire sprays Harry with red corp venom. Uh, however, as Harry has taken a preventative vaccine for uh, the venom, uh, he is able to fire back with a fuego. Uh, Thomas then appears, brandishing uh, his kukuri, uh, and also kills a bunch of vamps, uh, ordering Harry to get out and leave. Harry refuses to, however. Uh, Ivy ends the battle with the Mordite, um, using it to destroy several of the Red Court by simply just like throwing it through uh, the Red Court, and each of them are just dissolved by it. Uh, she then declares that the duel is over and determines that Harry, uh, that since Harry was winning, it was unlikely that he would have ca- uh, caused trouble and therefore he has won the duel. Uh, it's revealed that Martin, uh, fucking Martin, uh, <laughs> took the shot at Ortega. Uh, it was very much hinted that Martin doesn't want to end the war, but instead just wants the vamps to suffer. Uh, he promises to take care of an unconscious Susan. Uh, and head back to South America. Harry, meanwhile, makes his way to the airport. That takes us to chapter 31. Uh, Harry rendezvous with Michael and Sanya for a showdown with Nicodemus Arcleone. At the airport, uh, they call in a false bomb threat through Murphy to make sure it is clear of civilians. Trio eventually find Shiro beaten and horribly tortured. Harry uh, straightens Shiro out and lays his sword behind him. Um, kind of like uh, the whole like closing their eyes and stuff. Um, but Shiro starts coughing and regains consciousness. He declines medical treatment and instead explains that Nicodemus has the power to choose one person who will not be able to avoid death through a curse known as the Barabbas Curse. Uh, Nick had actually used the Brabus curse on Harry, but Shiro took his place, so Shiro must die to ensure Harry's survival. In Shiro's last moments, he gives his sword to Harry and tells him to hold on to it until the right owner comes along. Shiro tells Harry that Nicodemus is afraid of him, and his backup plan was to spread the plague that Nicodemus has created using trains. Shiro dies, Harry and the knights head to the airfield, and Harry uses his amulet to cast a bright blue light before a helicopter arrives. Trio head into the chopper and are met with Marcone, um, who is offering an alliance to take out Nicodemus. And that's over to you, Rob, for the big finale. Oh, man. Well, yeah, they're in the helicopter with Marcone. Um, 
Oh, God. Like, it's so intense at this point because we've spent, what, five books of just Harry being, like, fucking Marcone. And just, like, (laughs) refusing to, like, play with him, like, on any kind of front. And now he's, like, fucking summoned him himself because he knows that he's looking for the Shroud. Um, They have a bit of a private talk and explain the situation with the Denarians to Marcone and Hendrix and all that lot. Um, and you know that Nick is on, Nicodemus is on the train, uh, cargo train heading to a major train station to spread the virus, which man, it's so, if, I mean, if this was a film, Nick Cage would be in it and I'm not sure who he'd be playing. Mm. Like everyone, <laughs> I imagine. Um, yeah, and I f- he, like, Marcone promises not to kill anyone as well, which I think is a weirdly big deal for him. Because. Yeah. He's a bit of a. bad dude, I guess. He. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's kind of funny because uh, it's. In some ways, I think it's a, it is a really big deal. And in other ways, I also see it as just like. He just doesn't want the hassle of dealing with Dresden being all like. Killing is bad. Yeah, I mean that's fair enough. Really, he is a bit whiny <laughs> about it. Um, anyway, they 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 get onto the train and this massive like, I say massive. I, I kind of imagine it being a bit like the bullet train fight fight scene in um, uh, the Wolverine, but less bullet trainy. Ah, I guess. yes. Um, I I also thought of that. Sweet. <laughs> uh, um, it just sounded like you were going to say more there um, I, yeah I, I thought I was and then I was like nope there is nothing more to say than that. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough but um, as as this fight continues um, like Sanya gets kind of wounded Michael gets shot and we get this kind of you know the whole cliche trick of like oh no he's dead but then like he's totally fine he's just a bit achy um, yeah. But in the fight, Harry learns that nothing is going to hurt Nicodemus apart from the noose he wears around his neck. Um, which is pretty fucking handy. The downside is you need to get pretty close. Um, and Harry does just that because, you know, it's Harry Dresden, mate. And he's going toe to toe with Nicodemus and he manages to, like, kind of get a bit of an advantage on him. Um, and starts to like throttle him with the noose, and mm. Nicodemus is like freaking out about it, and is like, "Ah, oh, no!" Um, which I mean, you're being strangled, you're gonna panic, like demonic entity or other. It's not a good sign. Um, yeah, yeah. He he kind of freaks out. He manages to get away, uh, but in getting away, he leaves the shroud behind, and Harry is kind of, you know, if. if 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 like he didn't get the drop on him, get hold of like the noose and all that kind of thing, Marcone would definitely not Marcone, Nicodemus, sorry, would definitely have won this whole thing. Um Yeah. Which It's a real like he he's really pulling it out of his ass here. Yeah, it's I mean it's quite interesting because the whole thing with um Sanya and Michael, like I wouldn't say they were taken out easily. But I mean, after them being like total G's for the entirety of like this book, it was quite strange for them to 
again, not go down easy. That's not how I want to say it, but I, I know, I know what you, I know what you mean. But there's also a feeling of like um, the Trinity being broken. Like, yeah, um, Shiro's gone, and and then it's almost like the because they had this whole thing where they were all like in sync when yeah, they were fighting. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. That's a really good, a, probably a better way of wording it than me just saying it feels like there's a piece missing. But I mean, yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, like the. Our trio of heroes, Michael, Sonya, and Harry, only managed to survive at this point because of Marcone's aid. And they all kind of like... I'm trying to remember that because I've, I haven't written this part in my notes, but if I remember right, they all jump off the train for, like, safety because, like, you know, reasons. Um, but, like, Michael's body yeah, is kind yeah. of sinking to the bottom because he's wearing, like, the heavy Kevlar like chainmail vest kind of thing and Harry manages to get him but he's struggling to like come up I guess yeah and he like someone throws in like a not a rope but it turns out to be the shroud and it turns out also to be Marcone who saves Harry and Michael's life here um I don't remember what freak happened to Sonya to be honest I know I know he got wounded but I can't remember if he got off the train he's also this. he's also there he's just like He's just like at the side of the lake, just kind of passed out. I think. At this yeah. Point. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and they, they all kind of survive this ordeal, thanks to uh, Marcone at this point. And then Marcone's like, "Bye," and pisses off with the shroud. Yeah. Which is, you know, fair play on him. Chapter... And, and none yeah. of them are in any state to pursue him. Yeah. No. He, I mean. Point. Given how the whole thing went, Marcone is definitely in better condition than the others right now. So, yeah, yeah, they probably didn't even notice he'd gone. Apart from you know the bit where it told us that he ran away, and it's from Harry's oh, point of view. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> that being said, though, I, I think if I was in Harry, Harry's situation, I'd have just passed out. Yeah. Just, uh... Um. Yeah, uh, I think Harry loses consciousness again, and in chapter uh, 33, he wakes up in the back of Michael's pickup truck, next to an injured Sonya and Michael. Um, and at this point, I think it's, I think at this point it's still very unclear whether like Michael's what Michael's condition is. Um, Definitely, Sonya believes that Michael is still alive, and Murphy is driving the pickup truck. You remember Murphy, right? Our favourite character. Um, that hey, wasn't meant to sound so. That wasn't meant to sound so sarcastic there. But um, Butters is there that as really well. Sound like you hated Murphy. I don't hate <laughs> Murphy. <laughs> she's my favourite. She is actually my favourite character. Um, yeah, uh, she's driving the pickup, and Butters is kind of dealing with the two knights, like you know, bandaging them up. I guess the same with Harry mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then. We kind of jump forward a bit to Harry waking up at Michael's house after a bit more of a recovery. Um, Michael is absolutely fine, and we get a bit more of you know the Kevlar being woven into his armor thanks to charity. Um, there's, there's a really lovely quote where like Harry's like, "I thought because uh, uh, Michael shows that he's got Kevlar," uh, and, and Harry's like, "Oh, I thought faith protected you," and Michael's like, <laughs> "Faith's good, but Kevlar helps." 
Yeah. <laughs> lines like that that I love. Um, where am I? Harry kind of gives a bit of a lowdown on what's been going on, like debriefs the team, I guess. Um, mm. And he's given a letter that Shiro wrote him as well. And it it explains that he was ready to die. And also, I think it's mentioned that he has like stage four cancer or some such like basically he has an illness like that's you know terminal uh there's no coming back from it so he he, he'd already accepted that you know he was going to die anyway um and he's named harry as the right person to find the next knight of the cross which is uh interesting i mean I don't know if I should if we should save this. Actually, fuck it, I'll just go with it now. But I, I, I still find leaving the sword of Harry a weird choice when you could just leave it with one of the Knights of the Cross, which I feel is a more. Yeah, there's also an aspect of like, um, I was going to get into this um, a little bit later, but the the whole like, Shiro puts his life on the line for Harry. Complete. Oh, I mean, like he decides that his his big sacrifice is going to be for Harry. Yeah, and we never really get a reason why. Like, it, there's there's kind of a token. Like, I knew that the knights needed you to have any chance of stopping this plot. Mm. Um, but Shiro has never really met Harry before, so like, why? This whole thing about because he he wrote this letter before ever meeting Harry, yeah, and yet the letter is like addressing Harry almost like an old friend. Um, I think that's it, really my only issue. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's an issue really. It's I can accept the sacrifice, like and everything like that, but I I just I know I just feel like leaving the sword of him is a bit I know of an odd move, like you lot. say, considering. That they didn't actually know each other, but then I mean I, I know the answer that Jim would give. It's the old like um, God moves in mysterious ways, and Shiro yeah. just knew that it was the right thing to do. I mean that is how the knights work, I guess. So eh, whatever. Yeah, meh. Um, <laughs> we get uh Susan as well, who is leaving again, and it's basically the same as a uh, grave peril. Where they say goodbye, and she tells him once again, "Oh, d- don't contact me unless you know you need help." And I feel like, mate, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we also get like a a small kind of catch up from Ebenezer. Um, oh, and uh, before that, Susan explains that. Uh, Ortega survived, which we already knew, and he's retreated to his like base of operations in I can't remember where. Uh, Casa Verde. There we go. Um, and yeah, we we have like a bit of a call call from Ebenezer as well, and <laughs> Ebenezer tells Harry to watch the news, and we find out that a deactivated satellite fell to Earth, killing like an untold number of like people including Ortega because he fucking dropped it on his like 
sanctum base fortress from orbit. Yeah, from yeah. from orbit as well, which is pretty <laughs> badass. Like, yeah, um, and links back to that bit earlier in the book where Ebenezer was like, um. Boy, do you remember where that telescope went that time that we saw that satellite that I thought was a shooting star? Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Um, oh man. Uh, moving forward from there, we get Harry manages to track down Marcone and finds him giving the shroud to a small girl in a coma. Um, the whole idea of the shroud is it's meant to kind of cure various things I guess um, and Harry tries to take the shroud and Marcone understandably stops him um, but they come to a bit of an agreement because of the whole it's a little girl situation and it's it's showing Marcone having a bit of a vulnerable side I guess mm-hmm. um, it's quite an interesting interaction because Marcone's like oh if you tell anyone about this I'll fucking kill you and Harry's just like I'll give you three days, and if the shroud works or doesn't work, then return it to the Vatican. Um, and Marcone, Marcone agrees to this. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, yeah, it, because of it showing a bit more vulnerability for Marcone, and huma- I guess giving him a bit more of a humanity, I guess, in Harry's eyes, Harry just can't bring himself to outright hate Marcone in the way that he did. Um, yeah, um... Like the, the the last thing he says on it is that like the worst thing about that whole situation is that he'll never be able to hate Marcone, um, uh, com- like a hundred percent completely. Basically, I can't remember how he, how he phrased it, but like, uh, without reservation, um, mm. because there'll always be a part of that knows that Marcone's trying to do something good in yeah. the world. Um, and yeah, we we. I mean, Marcone does return it, by the way. But we jump forward a little bit more to a, a Carpenter family barbecue hosted by the Carpenters, funnily enough. Mm. Um, and it's a bit of a leaving party for Sanya because um, he's pissing off for another mission somewhere else. Solo mission, I assume. Um, yeah. And this is probably like the biggest like fucking cliffhanger to date. In the entire series, it really is. Because, and I, I'll get into it when 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 we do like the whole wrap up thing. But uh, during the party, like Harry notices that little Harry Carpenter, who's what like two or three years old, two years old, yeah, during this, is just like he's playing out in like the front garden, and a car kind of drives up, and we see Nicodemus is in the car across the street as well. And he flicks, like, one of the Denarian coins out onto the ground near Little Harry. And as Little Harry Carpenter is reaching for this coin, fucking Harry, like, kind of jumps in and grabs the coin before, like, Harry can. And before see... Little Harry can. It's it's a hard one to do here, because, like, you've got <laughs> Harry and Harry. Harry, Harry, Harry. Before Harry can Harry and Harry, Harry, Harry. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the scene here is Nicodemus driving off laughing, and be- because I guess in the way he got what he wanted, he wanted Harry to take the coin, and Harry took the coin, not really out of 
you know choice i guess but because he did it to save someone else i mean it takes advantage of what he was saying in the conversation earlier and he took yeah. full advantage of knowing that harry will always defend anyone really um yeah harry harry lies to michael about the coin as well and just kind of brushes it off um and yeah harry returns home like pretty fucking quick after this and the final scene of this book is harry burying the coin under a lot of concrete inside a magic circle in hope that this will protect him from its influence and that is where we finish death masks Oh man! Wow. Uh, yeah. Talk about a finale. Yep. Um. So we've got uh, a lot to talk about, a lot to break down here. Um. The uh, I I think this is one of the best endings uh, to a Dresden Files book. I agree. I um, think it's also maybe the first one. Like all, all the other endings that I remember, are kind of everything's kind of done up in a neat little bow, ready for the next book. Like exactly. Oh, you, oh Jim, go put your toys away, tidy up your room, and put your toys away. You can play again tomorrow, kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this is very much a kind of oh, man. It, it's so. This is the thing. It's not a monster of the week kind of thing. Like there's there's stuff here that is unresolved, um, both with the coin, but also like Nicodemus Fallon escapes and did get to do some of like. It's a really hard thing in, in any story to have a villain that gets to achieve something. Hmm. Um. And still, the hero gets to progress and gets to win. So, like, Nicodemus was able to kill um, Shiro. That was, that's an accomplishment for Nicodemus. Like we said, it's like these two old nemesises, or nemesi, um, like Joker and Batman. Um, Joker got to kill Batman here. But um, at the same time, he didn't get his big plot off because of Dresden and the Knights, but also because of Marcone more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and that's the other thing is that like they won because they made a, a, a last minute deal with a um, an evil force, just a less evil force than the one they were fighting. Um, which is interesting because I think that that's a um, that's something that we'll see again a few times in the Dresden Files. Mm. Um, is like the the need to team up against worse things as you go on. Um, it's very interesting. Um, I think this is kind of the start of that slippery slope almost. Yeah. Um. So so there is that. Um. And then, yeah, that last scene with the coin, I mean, that is a full-on... That's like a post credit scene, almost. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, this... When when I was doing my original read-through, um, 
I think with the first couple of books, I'd I'd read a Dresden Files book and then read something else, then you know alternate between Dresden and whatever else I was reading. Um, but I think this is where my obsession began to peak. In that, I yeah. I think as soon as we had that ending, I went and picked up Blood Rights, and I think in the space of about three or four weeks, I think I read another three Dresden books. Yeah. Um. There is something so masterful about this ending in that it just really like it it just gets you like I've got to read the next book. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's good. Um. So let's uh, let's go through some of the points then. So um, final fight with Nicodemus. Not much to really say here. Um, it's pretty cool that like. He's able to fight the knights and Harry at the same time by using like his shadow, and um, we get a real feeling that like even when he's cornered to some degree because he's on this train, Nicodemus is like way out of everyone else's league. Mm. Um, it was only really Shearer that was able to put him on a back foot at all. Um. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I think the final resolution where, I mean, essentially Harry gets a kind of sucker punch on him by working out the the noose uh, trick, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's such a cool resolution because it's like, um, it's not something, it really isn't something like big and clever and showy. It's literally just, I wonder if this will work, and thank God it did. Um, it was a proper like Hail Mary play, I guess. Um, and it only gives them an opening. It only gives them time to get the shroud and then jump off the train. Mm. Um, it doesn't give them time to, like... It doesn't... It's not like the Death Star kind of thing, where it's like, oh, we've, we've worked out the thing, now Nicodemus is destroyed. It's like, oh, we've found a way to make Nicodemus flinch. Yeah. Um, which is pretty. I, I, again, it just shows his how scary he is. Um, and and like you were saying, like it's kind of a uh, it's a good weakness in a way. Like it's a weakness where your enemy has to get right up in your face. And in Nicodemus's case, that's getting right up in your in the face of like maybe one of the best combatants in the Dresden Files series. Definitely, like, I mean, I think when I was reading it for this, it, I mean, even, even though Nicodemus is my favourite character and I knew full well how this was going to end, it weirdly didn't occur to me that, like, um, this is the first book where Harry doesn't just outright kill the main villain, like the main antagonist. Yeah. Like, you've, you've kind of covered it already with the whole... Uh, there's not really a clear victory. They managed to get the shroud back, and that is it. There's no, you know, stabbing like a fairy queen on a stone table kind of ending. Um, <laughs> and say and win and like winning the battle. It's it's very much a kind of, oh, you, you you've won the fight but not the war kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, there was a bit of that in book three, but yeah. even then, it it felt very much like Harry had won with the burning down of Bianca's place and like 
the, the vampires fully were like put in their place mm. almost. Uh, whereas I don't feel like for a second Nicodemus is going like Dresden. No, he's not really cursing his name much. He's just kind of eh, back yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh well, I got to kill Shiro at least. Yeah, which I mean. If you take that into account, it's probably more of a victory to him still. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the the whole train thing at the last minute was just like, well, this is fun. Uh, or, like, this will be a bit of fun. Like, infecting a couple of people with a virus. Hmm. Um, yeah. Very, I mean, I keep going back to, like, the Joker and um, Batman. And Nicodemus is not, he's not got that chaotic bent so much but there is something about that like the spreading of uh, sowing like discord and evil um that does feel quite jokery in a way yeah um and where it's just like any opportunity to do something that will just like uh make the world a bit more inhospitable and, and evil he will he will go for um yeah. Um. So yeah, we've got uh, we talked about uh, Nicodemus's weakness. Um. I guess it's probably uh, also worth pulling out here. Do we think that Nicodemus is Judas Iscariot? I mean, that's what I wanted to go for initially, like when I first read this. But as the, the the more we get of Nicodemus, the less I kind of went with that idea. Yeah, I... but I, I mean, mean it he's... it does make sense, doesn't it? I think if he's not, then the noose that he has is definitely like related to Judas. That well, this this is the thing. Like you've got the thirty pieces of silver, you've got the noose. I mean, if if uh, Nicodemus isn't Judas. The man's got one hell of a Judas-like boner. Yeah. Um, he's doing everything he, everything he can to be more Judas-y. Um, maybe he's some sort of Judas priest. Lol. Um, lol. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think um, it's... Uh, yeah, I... I in some ways, I don't want it to turn out that he's Judas, because it, it would almost take some of the mystique away of him. Yeah, I, I completely agree, to be honest. Um, It would be wild if it was like, <laughs> I'm not Judas, I'm St. Peter, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I was the real, like, bad one. All <laughs> along. <laughs> um... I also feel like, in some ways, Nicodemus would probably keep himself referred to as Judas, but then I suppose that would that would maybe expose some of his weaknesses. I don't know. Um, it's it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, because we know that he's old. We know that he's real old. Yeah. Um. So he could be. I. I mean. I'm, I also, from the way that, that Jim goes at, like, Catholic stuff, um, I can see him, or, or Christian stuff in general, I can see him just keeping it vague for the entirety of the series. Hmm. 
Um, and I think that's probably going to be the best way to do it. Because, yeah, if you if you start saying that like he's Judas, then I, uh, I feel like it opens a can of worms that maybe Jim doesn't want to open. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's kind of fair enough, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so we've got Marcone as one of the heroes. Um, yeah, um, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, f- I feel there wasn't really much to say on it. I, I mean, um, minus, like, his uh, secret. It, it was just kind of one of those kind of, you know, throwing your fist in the air moments because it feels like it's been building up or you've been waiting for them to kind of have a moment like this for the last five books. Yeah. It's like when Shadow the Hedgehog teams up with Sonic the Hedgehog and you're just like, fuck yeah! Yeah. Or when Vegeta teams up with Goku. Yeah, it's very much that kind of situation where, like, at some point you're just like, oh, they, they're going to work together eventually, and it's going to be reluctant but glorious. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and it really does feel like that here. And it feels like we're getting more insight into where Marcone is heading. Yeah. I guess. Um, so that's, that's Marcone. Um... We've talked about the letter from Shiro, uh, the goodbye from Susan, uh, we've, we've pretty much talked about. There's not much to really say there, it's just, I don't know, uh, it's Jim seeding stuff for later as well. Like, um, It's good to know that Susan is still around in the background. Um, Destruction of Casa Verde, we've talked about, it's just freaking awesome that Ebenezer brought a satellite down on the place. Um, Marcone's secret we've talked about. Um, we don't we don't actually find out who the girl is that he's giving the. Um... No, I was gonna mention this. I don't think that's. I mean, I, I, it probably is mentioned again in that that scene is mentioned, but I don't think we get anything else on who the girl is. Um, there's a soul gaze where we get like a, an indication who they might be. But I don't think it's ever like fully confirmed. Yeah. Um. But again, another one to bear in mind: Harry taking up the coin, man. That's. Um, that's going to be a big one in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um. But for now, yeah, it, it was the perfect way to get him. I guess is the thing. Um. Uh, he was always going to do if he could defend someone. Especially a kid or or someone that he saw as as in need, um, he would uh, with, mm. in a heartbeat. Um, so yeah, I guess that takes us to our final roundup and our thoughts on death masks or death masks. Um, <laughs> so thoughts. I mean, I feel like I say it gets the series gets better with each book. And it kind of does, but like, like I think I mentioned earlier, this was like probably the peak moment of my obsession with Dresden Files, where I just went straight into the next book, and I think across a weekend I didn't stop until I finished it, and then I went yeah. into book seven and book. I think I kept this pace up until the start of book ten, where like it, as soon as wild. I put it down, I would just grab the next one off the shelf. Yeah. 
enjoy it. Definitely. Oh. It's it's um, an interesting one because this time I felt differently where I still enjoyed it, but I don't think I enjoyed it much as, as much as um Summer Night, which is weird because when I first read them, I didn't enjoy Summer Night as much as Grave Peril or Death Masks. Yeah, I've always felt Summer Night was maybe not that. I I I didn't enjoy it as much uh, originally as I did when we when we reread it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but that that might be stuff later in the series just kind of help build our hype up for some of the stuff in Summer Night. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, I definitely um, there's a lot I enjoyed in this book. Um, the nights see like I really feel like this is where Jim gets into his groove. Definitely, I feel uh, like like we were saying with the ending, it's it's less of a monster of the week kind of feel, and it's more of a it, it, it's kind of where the Dresden Files starts becoming more of a Dresden saga, like it's an ongoing story, I guess that just kind of evolves and develops the world more and more as we go along, building upon what's already there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess it's almost a bit like with the Witcher books. Where you've got the short stories and then it goes into the the longer epic. Yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. Um, I feel like this is the like you say the start really of the epic. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many characters in as well in this that I really enjoy. Uh, Archive and Kincaid, I love. Mm. Um, I think they're absolutely brilliant characters. Um. I I really like Sanya. Sanya's a great character. Um, I just feel like Jim really rounds out the backing cast here nicely. Definitely, and I feel as well, kind kind of going on uh, what we were just saying of um, you know the, the the end of the monster of the week theme and the start of this being the Dresden epic and stuff. I feel at this point, I think we've been introduced to most of the major like support cast as well like yeah. i think i think from this from the next book onwards or from this book onwards i should probably say it's more developing those characters like everyone that we've been introduced to like sonya uh, butters michael murphy and all that kind of stuff from here on out it's building those characters instead of just throwing in more new ones exactly exactly um and yeah i think i think we're we're out of the introduction phase of Dresden and, and we're into the proper like okay this is this, this is the big stuff now Ooh, um, yeah. which should only make you more excited for what's to come uh, and speaking of that um are you are you excited for uh blood rights i mean yes and no i can't remember much of blood rights but i i remember thinking i think when i first read it i remember thinking like kind of similar to ghost story where it's kind of it slows down the pace a bit but yeah it's it's a weird one because blood rights and i think white knight which are whatever the ninth book is called i think are pretty heavy focused on um the white court so i get them both a bit mixed up yeah same i actually a lot of um a lot of the plot points that I remember being um, 
as White Knight are actually, I think they are more in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there's some really fun aspects to this one. Um, we'll go into it uh, when we when we when we get there. But uh, there's some really there's a good a good few comedy sections as well, which I I enjoy. Um, and of course, uh, we get the first appearance of Mouse. Oh shit! Yeah, um, it's that one, isn't it? It is. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, brilliant. Well, we'll talk about it more uh, next week as we do our kind of uh, wrap up of the kind of of the in between content between Death Masks and Blood Rites, um, and we'll talk about war- uh, more about Warwick Sight and such. Um, but yeah, uh, Rob, do you want to just take us out? Uh, yeah, as always, thanks for all the support. We've just crossed five thousand four hundred downloads, which is madness. Um, mm-hmm. Our Patreon is also live. Uh, it, go for that. I mean, it's depending on what tier you go for. It's no more than a cup of coffee a month. Which, I mean, once we actually start putting out new content and stuff, all the bonus stuff, it'll be it'll be more than worth it. Believe us. Like. We have some seriously intense plans going on for this. Uh, oh, yeah. So why not join up early and say you were there at the beginning, you know? You were there before it was cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as always, share, follow, subscribe. Uh, hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter. Instagram, if you want. That's probably the most neglected of our platforms. Um, for no reason other than I'm a bit lazy. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that. And yeah, next week we'll be doing the short story. I think. Is that yeah. Correct? Yeah. yeah um, so that's going to be a vignette. Yeah, we'll be doing that next week. Which, I mean, yeah, that should be interesting because it's only a page or so long. But um, yeah, we'll 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 find ways to talk about it for a good while. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, tune in next week, and you've been listening to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, me, Rob Davis, and me, Patrick Lunn. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye.